0: This is the last coffee house thanks for joining me today we're talking about sam harris reading list another book Getting to check it off out of the 186 that he's probably adding to it as well. So, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely is what we're talking about today. The subtitle is The Hidden Forces That Shape Our Decisions. It was published February 2008, and his goal was to help you fundamentally rethink what makes you and the people around you tick. We'll see to what degree he actually accomplishes that goal. So, the contents what are the contents of this particular tome? The author talks about initially, he talks about how he suffered severe burnout that it had an animating effect on his career long term it gave him an interest in why people do what they do observing the people and what they were doing in the hospital because he spent so much time there which is fascinating i don't even know what his specialization i don't know what he all right he's a professor of psychology and behavioral economics okay (laughs) so i just want to make sure that he wasn't like an avocado farmer or something we're trying to listen to him about psychology and stuff so all right so that's what he does great but he goes into now there are a ton Throughout, there are a ton of studies that he uses to illustrate certain principles. And overall, mostly, they're just kind of fun to listen to and learn about. But my primary issue is how applicable they actually are outside of the very limited circumstances in which they are demonstrated. So, okay, so we could just go kind of down the list to get kind of the best best ones, best points. He talks about uh, magazine subscription options. So he was looking for a magazine. I think it was The Yorker, which I used to read religiously, not so much now. How anything liberal has been driving me crazy lately so I just i've had to step back from all that but magazine subscription options he talks about how we would we determine the value of things by relating them to others so this is the decoy effect so in the magazine subscriptions you would have one option that was the print only version one option that was the online only version and then a third option that was the print in online and the weird thing was <laughs> that you know print cost a certain amount online costs a, a certain amount usually less but both of them together cost the same amount as like just the print only option so you got something presumably for free and what he talks about here is that it's a decoy it's so that you see that and you say oh now I have an understanding of value and I understand that this third option has so much more value that I'm just going to choose it when I otherwise wasn't going to choose any so he talks about this in the context of minus Rome as well so if you have like three options one is to France one is to Rome they both have equal amenities and perks and and costs and all that sort of stuff um, but then you have like rome that's worse than the other rome <laughs> that's like you don't get no wi-fi no free breakfast and that's next to those two then it'll make the one the rome one look more attractive relative to the french one the france one so you're more likely to pick the rome one and i can't remember all the numbers on all these but as far as i remember it, was, it was a pretty significant difference and it makes perfect sense obviously advertisers use these all the time This episode is brought to you by Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, There is so much to do and see in Boca Raton with 46 parks, two libraries, three public beaches, two golf courses, several tennis centers, miles of bicycle and pedestrian trails, an outdoor amphitheater, and special community events all year long. There's no time to be bored in Boca. Arts and culture, we've got that. Professional and college sports, we've got that. A 5'5 Middle Eastern erotic clown with an excessive fondness for a regular Argyle socks, we've got that too. Boca Raton, florida come visit back to the show to try to get people to buy certain things and i know apple is driving me effing crazy lately because every time they come out with a new phone they make the gap between the like bottom and the next up one it just doesn't make any sense to not go higher and just get the higher one even though you're, you're getting more storage but it only costs them you know a fraction to increase the storage but the way that they put these together especially their computers and their phones just makes you upgrade like the latest ipad i had to upgrade to the highest one just because the cost didn't make sense to go any lower than that and they can't do that forever you know because i used to get the bare bones ones but they played little psychological tricks on me because they read predictably irrational and now i'm buying their most expensive ones so i'm sure this kind of a phenomenon the decoy effect you know using things like minus rum i'm sure it works very well in advertising i don't know how much it it's likely just a quirk of psychology and behavior that's exploited as opposed to being some kind of a a Broad, meaningful understanding of the way that the brain works or something like that and so i don't know how how useful it is okay another oh this is one of the things that uh, when i first read this <laughs> that really struck me and i pulled out was that one of the big things that happened at some point in recent history in the united states was that there was some kind of a statute that came out if you were an executive at a major company you had to divulge your pay because we were worried about pay disparity between employees and executives so executives started started having to publicize whatever their pay would be and you get these lists of this is what these executives are making one of the effects of this was that other executives would see the pay of other executives see each other's pay so this would make them more competitive because to determine value you've got you need some kind of something to compare it to and if once you see more comparisons then the executives who are making less shot their pay up to have more comparatively to other executives so then the pay disparity increased dramatically. So then rather than like 150 times, now it's 370 times uh, the pay of the average worker. That's what I love is that senators and members of the house, uh, they just, they do things on a superficial level. So they'll just say, oh, well, this will make sense. And it's something that I can signal to my constituency without really recognizing what it's going to do. And in relation to that is anchoring the idea of anchoring. So if we just superficially like think of or see something some kind of a number, it can affect the way that we value things monetarily. So in this particular circumstance, he used wine, bidding on wine, and he would have people write down the, so- the last four digits of the social security numbers ahead of time and then bid on wine. And this would lead to bids that were related to their social the last four digits of the social security numbers. And this is a well-documented, but again, I don't know how useful it actually is and how deep or substantive the effect is long-term. This is something that would be fascinating to determine because this is priming everybody's heard of priming and i talk about it more later but you prime somebody with some kind of a number and it affects the way they think about numbers going forward so if you tended to have if you had a higher a last four digits of your social security number then you'd bid higher on the wine if you had lower then you'd bid lower of course it's pretty difficult to say whether this has any kind of a cause a causal effect or something like that or if just generally they have some kind of a <laughs> If they're just determined, based on their social security number, to pay more for things in general when it comes to bidding. Uh, who knows, but but we can more approximately say that this was just an anchor number that affected the way that we're going to bid wine, and there are a whole bunch of other things that happen when it comes to bidding and related to personalities and how people function and all that but there seems to be an effect uh, an anchoring effect of a number and it makes sense in circumstances where you have kind of uh, an information vacuum and I think this is a, a concept that's pretty important relative to trying to figure out why people do what they do. When you have an information vacuum then you're going to look for anything to give you some kind of a meaning on it and we'll get to thinking fast and slow by daniel kahneman We're g- we'll get to that i'm still i'm almost done with it but when we go through that that one has a whole lot of great stuff and it's a little more current, as far as I remember, because this is 2008, but that, I think, is a little more recent, and it's a little more technical. So, OK, this one, uh, he also talks about sound experiments using multiple anchors. And he, he said that these, like, the sound experiment yielded an extended effect of the anchoring. So he could be trying to demonstrate kind of a more substantive impact of this kind of anchoring in that, but it was they used different pitches of sounds, and whether they'd listen to it again, if I'm remembering this correctly. It, Like I said, he used multiple anchors and tried to figure... And determined that it had an extended effect through an elongated period of time. Uh, But I can't remember all the details to that. But it would be really fascinating to get more deeply into those questions in particular. Okay, talked about herding. Not hurting, hurting. Like herding. Why can't I... (laughs) enunciate properly so you understand so like animals following each other hurting so he said that we do self herding so if we've done something before then we're more likely to herd ourselves into that thing again even if it didn't demonstrate kind of uh, value and this could have a lot of implications relative to like a, a regression to the mean or being more inclined to status quo and those kinds of psychological effects but he said like if you go to Starbucks one day then you're more likely to go Starbucks again rather than pick some other place so there's a kind of self-hurting effect again i'm not sure how to i wonder if we could get some kind of a more and it's probably in the technical literature it probably is but if we get a more technical understanding of these effects like we get some kind of a number associated with it just so we could understand some kind of a rating or something so we could understand how much it's impacting and how they interact with each other but anyway so free of course uh, this one should be pretty straightforward you want to charge something very little for somebody very little for something they're not likely to pick it up they don't need it but if it's free yeah why not let me just take it talks about an emotional surge of free uh and one of the experiments he uses was kids with snickers bars so when kids for trick-or-treat they'd come up and he'd give them two hershey's kisses and a small snickers they said you could trade in one of the hershey's kisses uh for a big snickers something like that and the kids were more likely to like keep what they had instead of trading it off even though you got more ounces of chocolate if you got the big snickers bar so it's it's a cute little thing <laughs> it's it's funny there are, again a million different things going on there so who knows what it actually means just if you're ever in a situation where you're trying to give kids <laughs> candy and you want to keep your big snickers bar then you've got a method for doing that just just make sure that you're trying to get them to trade something instead of just offering things for free you know then you'll be able to keep your big snickers bar who knows how applicable it is i'm sure it it represents and demonstrates some kind of a an innate inclination or disinclination for you know free things but and what that would mean long term and over la- large populations and in the economy and and all that but again i don't know how how applicable it is and how much it's how useful it can be Uh, i really like this part where he talks about market norms versus social norms he brings up dating specifically and how you know if you go on three dates right now and you're in the realm of social norms where you're just talking and this is pretty antiquated now actually in 2008 i'm sure it it made sense but now 11 years later (laughs) i don't know it seems kind of antiquated but in a dating situation you go through the social norms where the the guy pays for the thing and there's a social norm of you guys a interacting realizing this is a, a dating situation and you're trying to get to know each other and and there's a, a goal line at the end but once you get to like date four and he's still paying if you say something like okay well I, i've spent this much money on it it's getting a little expensive so i'd like to get to the sex now then it changes from a social norm to a market norm and uh it's going to cause an issue and it could likely lead to uh one thing that i'm desperately looking forward to happening at some point i haven't been able to elicit it yet but i want somebody to say how dare you and throw water not like something uh, that could stain clothing but just throw water in my face at a dinner i'm real i want this to happen at some point it hasn't happened yet so i'm trying to get there so this would probably elicit that uh, if you change from the social norm of dating to the market norm of determining the value of the chattel that you purchase <laughs> then uh it's gonna have an effect and he says you know this kind of shifts back and forth so he brings up a day case dare a dare car da, 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 dare care, daycare oh my gosh i don't have kids so maybe that's why i can't say the stupid word a daycare center he brings up to show that uh you know parents would come in late to pick up their kids and this is becoming a real problem so they in- initiated a cost for that you'd have to pay if you were late so then instead of parents <laughs> Like feeling bad about it or being apologetic, they just pay and they feel fine about it. So they started being more late, more often, uh, because you were shifting from a social norm of you know just the social pressures of you're inconveniencing people, you're not following a rule that we set ahead of time. Change it from that to now you've paid for it. It's a market norm, so the cost of it, it's the value's there. If I only if I have to pay ten bucks or whatever it is, then I'm getting my value for being able to be late. It's a market norm now, so it doesn't have the same effect. So when they even when they took that away after that the parents <laughs> start. they they stayed at the lateness level of the market norm even though you're switching back to social norms the market norm trumped it and now you couldn't go back there so that's a funny little twist thing and it's an interesting way to look at it and i wonder how much more rigorously that idea has been pursued because i think that's a really interesting idea about market norms or social norms and how those play out in a bunch of different contexts so but uh, i mean everybody intuitively just internally could think of how that would affect it that where it changes from like a social we just have a social understanding to a market we have some kind of a, a value we're putting a monetary value on something but again I'd love to be able to quantify this stuff in a more deliberate way class paper yes the class pl- paper rule. so he had this setup where his students would be able to choose how they had their deadlines for the papers that were going to become due over the course of the semester so it'd be like you can choose to have paper one due at week three and paper two due at week six etc etc uh, or you could choose any date you could just put them push them all toward the back you could put them all on the last day and just make them all do then uh, but whatever you chose you have to you have to follow that you get a penalty uh, a point penalty for any time after that and he found that because he did this in numerous classes to find out which one worked better and the ones where they got to choose they did worse than where the teacher just laid down the rigid rules and said that okay these are the dates you're gonna have to turn them in and yeah and, and and just follow those so uh, this is a uh, relatively limited i don't know how many i mean the sample size isn't gonna be that big if he just does it with his classes uh, i'm sure they accounted for that but if it was just the one class where they're choosing you would expect that the worst students who would do worse on them anyway would choose the later deadlines so even though it, it might be uh, make logical sense it, it's like the worst students would probably choose the later deadlines just wait till the last minute and then not be able to do it so that could affect it but he did use other classes where he just put the rigid rules in place and they did better so presumably even the worst students do better under the rigid rules than they would otherwise but it's it's interesting again i don't know how applicable it is because if you try to extrapolate this into like the entire economy i could see this being used for something like rationalistic paternalism where you structure things to make people more likely to do things that are in their best interests as opposed to tyrannically <laughs> just laying things down from the top so I don't know. It might be applicable in that general sense. Oil change is based on mileage. I remember this is the book that I learned about this. So that this is where this started, where it wasn't always just every 3,000 miles, you need to get to oil change and your tires rotated and all that stuff. It They used to just have them a la carte. You just pick off of there and, and they hope people would do it. But once they put in this idea of every 3,000 miles, you, you're supposed to do this whole suite of things, even though they don't necessarily all line up with each other. Uh, then it just skyrocketed. I think who did it first? So it might have been Honda or Toyota or somebody. And then somebody like Ford followed them. And it just shot up their service intake like crazy. And now instead of being able to just roll on in and get your car serviced, you have to make an appointment ahead of time (laughs) and wait for three hours. So thanks. Thanks for that, you dicks. This effect related to things being our possessions. And again, this is is pretty general and vague. So um, it was about basketball tickets. People would win Final Four tickets and they'd compare what somebody would bid to buy those versus what somebody would be willing to sell those for and suggested that people fall in love with what they have and value it way more than the things that you know they could acquire if they already have it they value it way more than being able to acquire that thing so uh, and the difference was stark it was pretty crazy although again i'd love to see this played out in a whole bunch of different contexts to see if this effect holds because this is a very specific kind of a situation it's people who won basketball tickets they're willing to sell them for like on average twenty four hundred dollars or something like that and the people who are want to to buy the tickets were willing to buy them for on average of like 150 dollars so it was it was pretty insane although the kid who said that he'd only be willing to spend about that much 150 160 he did say something about uh, wanting to go he could use that money to go buy cds which was hilariously antiquated as well so I mean that's a pretty stark difference that's gigantic so there's got to be some kind of a thing going on there but again it could be if you're in the midst of the final four or or, you know the championship or whatever and you go to the school that's going to be participating this this is at Duke I mean when you combine a whole bunch of different uh, factors that could really amplify this kind of effect in all sorts of weird ways so it you know it might illustrate some kind of an idea about where again it could just be reflective of regression the mean or idea of a status quo or or something like that but it it could have some kind of a greater significance okay so a couple more were options coke and pepsi and it's funny this comes up now (laughs) Coke and Pepsi if you reveal the names then people preferred coke way better name if you uh, not to offend our sponsors (laughs) If you uh, bring up we have a sponsor for this episode It is the word pincer not to be confused with the similar word pincher. pincer is a noun meaning the front claw of a lobster crab or similar Crustacean. I personally prefer the word pincher. However, Will Smith said pincer in the fantastic elementary school student film after earth So that's pincer. Thank you for the sponsorship back to the show if you don't bring up the name and it's just a taste test then Pepsi wins yay so I'm actually a coke drinker by the way then Pepsi wins but the idea of it was that using the name activated a higher order brain mechanism so they actually did MRIs and saw that people had a certain reaction when the names were used versus not used and so it made coke win the taste test uh, versus Pepsi who would win in a blind taste test so curious and obviously just taste tests in general there could be all sorts of gigantic crazy things going on when it comes to figuring that out. Anyway, so it's an interesting idea. And this is something again advertisers use all the time. is Name name recognition, having good names to be able to sell their products. And he t- oh yeah, he talks about the patient and rude priming. So people more likely to be rude, more likely to be patient if they're primed in, in respective ways. Elderly priming, so if you prime people with old sounding things or old associated things uh, like raisins in Florida, uh, then they're more likely to walk slower and more hunched over when they're leaving the testing facility. <laughs> so I don't I mean, take it for what you will. Again, I think there's an idea of an information vacuum and just making quick determinations intuitively based on whatever information is available when there's a vacuum. But you have to wonder how much this can be extrapolated and how much it can be used in different contexts. So oh, and the expensive medicine placebo effect, which would be a funny thing to try to because there's so much talk of reform related to getting medical care uh, but here he found that the more expensive the medicine the more effective it was and you know it's something that we all get into I'm sure the more you spend on something the more you want to like it because you don't want to be an idiot for having spent so much money on it and the placebo effects real thing there's a physiological response that gives you benefits if you get an expensive medicine it gives you more of a benefit than if you have a, a cheaper medicine so it's it's a there's a distance there I don't know I don't know that could be something that impacts whether you want to bring the cost down or not (laughs) so bubble sheets oh cheating on the test this one kind of annoyed me but it was something about so they'd give you there's a test and you'd get a certain amount of money you get to like take a bunch of dimes out of a, a jar or something if you if you get for every question you got right it was done at harvard it didn't so what they did was they had people play take the test just straightforwardly and turn in and see how many they got then they had people who were told to transfer their answers to another like a scantron that had like the actual answers noted on there so there wasn't a cost of you just selecting uh what the other answers are but you still had your sheet you know and you didn't know if you had to turn that in or or you did have to turn that in or something like that so people were slightly more likely to cheat if they got the answers ahead of time there were specific scenarios so then there was one where you shredded your bubble sheet after transferring them to the other one that had the actual answers on them Um, and there's one where you shredded both your worksheet and your bubble sheet when you transferred to where it had the answers on them. Uh, there was apparently a 32% increase when you had to. I can't remember the specific numbers. There was an increase, a significant increase, when you got to destroy the evidence where people would cheat and take more of the money. So when given that opportunity, even at Harvard, even when it has to do with dimes. <laughs> <laughs> there ya. we're more likely to do that and I just, I don't know, this seems like a, a pretty wonky way to put it together, I mean, it's at Harvard for one maybe I'm just stereotyping about how much Harvard students are gonna care about a bunch of dimes in a jar, I mean, personally I would rather not take any, no matter how many I got, so I didn't have to deal with change but this was 2008, maybe it was a different world and there was kind of a, there wasn't much of a difference between shredding and then the more shredding, the shredding of everything versus the shredding of just one, there wasn't much of a difference, and uh, I, I I don't think there was actually that much of an increase in cheating just period and that's what it, what it, this note here about 32 to 36 percent. that might have been what i was getting at there but there wasn't all that much of an increase in general i just i don't know it's i know it's like impossible to be able to control properly out in the world but i would love to see these kinds of studies out there amongst the peoples as opposed to oh we're just dealing with our harvard students and some dimes i don't know it just seems a little wonky there was a 10 commandments priming as well where people were more likely to be honest uh, when they were primed with the 10 commandments perfectly fine and although i love the separation church and state i uh, for historical reasons and for priming effects i don't know it might be nice to place them all all over the place also curiously cash makes us more honest so if it's if it's an item like stealing cokes or something like that then you're much more likely to take it out of the fridge versus like the value of the coke in cash sitting somewhere and you taking that it's much more likely so cheating for things much more pronounced than cheating for cash. Group identity. Okay, so we talked about how polarization is more likely and more extreme when people have a group identity, which is something that, I mean, I have to be careful, temper my support of that idea, because absolutely any kind of group identity period is extremely concerning, especially when it's based on characteristics that you can't change. And that's something that we do constantly nowadays. Holy hell, if you only knew in 2008, is that just group people based on identity unchangeable fixed categories and just say you're part of this group moving on you know it's it's really concerning and that's it makes perfect sense that polarization is going to increase under those circumstances and be more extreme under those circumstances okay what are my thoughts just generally i kind of went through them all the way through it but there, it's fun they're fun experiments in here i'm not sure how much application they actually have i think it's more useful for advertisers than anyone else for kind of that superficial relationship that they have with their consumers that they can use these little ticks of psychology to be able to get them to buy things uh, everything's really kind of surface level i mean it implicates broader issues about the trying to study behavior and psychology especially with like ethical limitations you can't just you know <laughs> take a few babies you take a, a number of babies out of the womb and you just put them in a room and study them to try to figure out human psychology you don't get to do that you have to go with people who have a million, 5 million, 200 million different inputs that you don't get to control for or understand or be able to take out of your experiments. You know, you don't get to watch people 24 hours a day and see exactly how they respond to stimuli and and figure all that stuff out. So there are broader issues when it comes to studying these kinds of things, behavior and psychology. So I understand that. You can only do so much. So it's it's fun anyway. And the question really is how broadly applicable are any of these principles? So, Anything like the decoy effect, the anchoring. How much do these things actually impact what a person does versus not not do in different situations and long term from a, a longitudinal perspective and in different circumstances where you may or may not have an information vacuum that you're working. I don't know. I don't know how applicable they are, but they're good things to keep in mind, especially if you're an advertiser. And yeah, it was a it was a fun read. Anyway, I'd like to see an updated version of this. See if a lot of these ideas are expounded upon. Or better supported or or whatever. So that was the last coffee house. Sam Harris Reading List. Dan Ariely, Predictably Irrational. Thank you very much at John Shade Reads. That was the last coffee house. Thank you very much. Okay, bye.